Hey, this is Steve Thompson, also known as Tomps, and sometimes even Fun Size Steve. But today, I am still freaking out about the Detroit Lions getting their second playoff win and a division title. You guys, this is something that hasn't been done in my lifetime. It hasn't been done in most of our lifetimes because it was 1957 was the last time a Lions team made it this far. And no, you haven't accidentally dropped into a random sports podcast. I just had to vent my excitement somewhere, and you are my unsuspecting excitement victims. But now, I'm going to turn the spiritual corner and legitimize all my fanboy gushing by just heading straight into prayer. So, Jesus, you probably don't care that much about what happens in American football, but I thank you for these small joys that happen in our life. Uh, for these exciting moments. But Lord, even among the goodnesses, whether they're significant or maybe more on the trivial side, Father, we come to you today and I ask that Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in the reading of this passage, 2 Corinthians verses 15 through 22. This is Paul continuing his argument with the Corinthians. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. First on my way to Macedonia, and again when I returned from Macedonia, then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make plans carelessly? Do you think I am like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes, and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Okay, can I just say that this has got to be one of the worst ways to start off an explanation for a change in plans that I've yet encountered. I mean, if one of my teenagers tried to start off their excuse or explanation with a Jesus juke like that, I would be adding to their consequences right off the bat. So this means I must be missing something, right? I mean, why wouldn't Paul just tell them straight up his reason for changing the plans? And this brings us to one of the reasons why I think a plain reading of Scripture can often lead us with more questions and confusion than we began with, especially a letter like this, where we know we're missing so many details of the history between Paul and the Corinthian church. We'd have to be detectives to figure out what all is going on here. But thankfully, we have de detectives. We have biblical scholars who dig and research to fill in so many of these gaps that we have. And so having read some of these resources, I'll say 
I still don't quite understand why Paul chose this tactic, this route with his argument. But at least I do understand more of Paul's predicament and what he was facing and why he was having to say this. Because whoever his accusers are, they have done an incredible job of completely undermining his credibility with these brothers and sisters that he even lived with for a year and a half. They don't trust him, and they feel like him not coming back to visit them like he had promised meant that he was up to something. So Paul is feeling this pressure that if they throw him away, then they could very likely throw away Jesus, the person he so desperately wanted them to continue building their lives on. And so he works his way backward in his reasoning, like he says, look, you trust Jesus because of all that he's done in your life. And God welcomed you with a big yes in Jesus and a wide open hug. God has followed through on every one of his promises to you in Jesus. And it's because of Jesus that our amens and prayer even have any effect at all. And God is the one who brought us all together in Jesus, the anointed one, by pouring out and sealing us with the Holy Spirit. So at least that's how I'm seeing his argument going. Look, you trust in Jesus, and the only reason you trust Jesus is because he sent us to you so you could meet Jesus, and so you can trust us. I I need this kind of helpful intellectual question answering so that I can get my head out of the way of hearing the Holy Spirit in my heart. And so... As I begin then to meditate on the passage, I can see the logic of it. And this is where my heart has gone now as I've begun to reflect and meditate on the passage. It's the last line of reasoning Paul uses. God is the one who brought us all together in Jesus, the anointed one, by pouring out and sealing us with the Holy Spirit. This reality draws me to worship and to look on him with adoration. This is God's very presence, the Holy Spirit, living in each of us as a gift and as a promise that what we're experiencing now is not the final word. Here's verse 22 out of a translation that I've been reading devotionally. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So again, in my words, he anointed us just like he anointed Jesus, the anointed one, just like he poured out Holy Spirit on Jesus. He pours out Holy Spirit on us. He marked us as his own. How could we offer ourselves to anything or anyone else? Our allegiance is only and completely to the king of the universe. We are his. He is guaranteed a future with him by placing Holy Spirit in our hearts. Holy Spirit's activity in my life is a constant reminder that we will be resurrected into the fullness of God's kingdom. We will be resurrected into bodies that won't get sick, injured, or die. 
We are guaranteed to be resurrected into redeemed and restored relationships with each other. More, Lord. We want more of this. We want more of you. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. More of your presence in us, shaping us, molding us, and drawing us together in spite of the enemy's constant attempts to divide us. I'm just going to leave us with this thought and this song, actually. And this is a song from my childhood. It was written by the Gaithers, if you're familiar with Bill and Gloria Gaither. And just to paint the picture a little bit, we would often, usually it was at the Sunday night service, the Vespers service, for those of you who remember Sunday evening gatherings. At the end, the very end, it kind of was this tradition where we'd circle up around the whole area, hold hands, and together sing this song called Family of God. So I'm going to read this as our closing pronouncement and our closing prayer. You will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Amen.